0: Hi, I'm Annette, and it's so good that we can gather on this Easter Sunday to celebrate that Jesus has risen. As I said, I'm Annette, one of the pastors here, and today what we're going to do is have a look at the, the resurrection. But before we do that, I want us to get into the mindset of the disciples at the time when Jesus died. So to do that, what we're going to do is go back and have a look at some of the promises in the Old Testament and some of the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament so that we can understand really where the disciples were at. Let's start first with some of the promises. Well, the very first promise that was given to the people was to Abraham or Abram in Genesis 12 verses 2 and 3. It goes, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This promise was given to Abram and Abram became Abraham who was the start of the Israel nation. Again, this promise was confirmed a little bit later in Genesis 15 verse seven. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. These promises were were so important to the Israel nation and to the people, and they kept remembering them. And with the time of King David, we start to see these promises being fulfilled as Israel became an independent nation and through David's leadership and his kingship, the, the country expanded, the nation expanded. David also received some promises from God, and we read in 2 Samuel 17, 11, and then verse 16. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Again, we see this promise reiterated Psalm 89, verse three to four. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. So these were some of the promises that were given to Israel, that they would be a nation, that they would be a strong nation and that the kingdom would last forever forever. As I said, we saw that happening with King David and then with King Solomon. The nation had independence, it was growing, and it was a very prosperous nation. Not long after King Solomon, though, that all fell apart, and the nation of Israel was dispersed and scattered From that time onwards, godly leaders, whenever there was a godly leader, one of the things that they tended to do was to recall or recite or read the scriptures to remind the people of the promises that had been made to them. We see this in the time of Nehemiah. They had rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah called Ezra, the scribe, to read the book of the law. The people sat in front of them and they heard the law being read. So this was a regular kind of thing. And one of the reasons they were doing that was to remind the people of the promises that God had made to them. And then these promises were passed on from generation to generation. There were also throughout the Old Testament many prophecies concerning the Messiah. The Messiah means the one who is to come to rescue the people. Let's have a look at some of them. Numbers 24 verse 17, I see him but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Isaiah 32 verse 1. Look, a righteous king is coming and honest princes will rule under him. Isaiah 40 verse 10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. So generation after generation knew those promises, those covenant promises that we read before, and they knew these prophecies. And they were expectant and waiting for this to happen. When we get to the end of the Old Testament, it hasn't happened. But they're still expectant and they're still waiting. In the period of time between the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, it's about 400 years. And a lot happened around Israel, that area of the world during that time. There were many leaders, there was lots of rulers, there was lots of bloodshed, lots of fighting to gain leadership. And for the Israel people, they experienced heavy taxes and quite oppressive bureaucracy. As I said, there was a lot of murder and bloodshed to to retain leadership. Now one of the leaders over the Israel people at that time requested that, or not just requested, told the Israel people that they had to offer pagan sacrifices. And he had a pagan altar put in place in the temple. Well, this the Israel people, the Israelite people did not take that very well. And there were a few of them who decided to fight back. And this started what was called the Maccabean Revolt, which was in 167 to 135 BC. And it was a time when the Israelites fought for independence. They reclaimed and re-cleansed the temple. They regained religious freedom and eventually they became an independent state in 142 BC. That was something that they'd been looking forward to. Remember, they knew these promises. They knew these prophecies. They were looking forward to this and excited about about it. After the Maccabean uh, revolt and when those leaders died out, there's the Hasmonean here we go, Hasmonian period. And there were quite a few leaders during this time. And again, they expanded the territories and extended the Jewish rule. But there was also lots of infighting and civil war. And eventually the independence ended with Roman occupation in 64 BC. So the Israelite people, they knew, they were waiting for the Messiah. They knew the promises of God They'd heard the prophecies about the Messiah and in their mind, at, they were, the fresh was the, the revolt from the Maccabeans and the Hasmonean, Has, Hasmonean leaders. And so there they, uh, they was such an expectancy and, of what was to come. And it was into this time, into this environment that Jesus was born. So the people, one of the things that they were expecting was a political and military king one who would fight for them, who would lead them, who, you know, they were, they saw what they were expecting was, you know, this political and military figure who was going to give them, they were going to be a mighty nation and a powerful king. That's what they were expecting. Into this comes Jesus. Jesus is born. And around his birth, there were many fulfillment, fulfilling fulfillment of the prophecies from the Old Testament and there was a lot of talk about Jesus. I mean John the Baptist uh, and his birth, his miraculous birth and the birth of Jesus and what the shepherds saw and the wise men and what they told people. We also see that when Jesus was eight days old he was taken in the temple as was the custom to be circumcised and Simeon was there and he'd been waiting. It says in Luke 2 verse 25 He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So as soon as he saw Jesus, he recognized him as the Messiah. Then there was Anna the prophetess also in the temple, says in Luke 2.38, she came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So right from Jesus's birth, there was talk that he was the Messiah, that he was the one. People were telling everyone about him. So the sense of anticipation around Jesus was growing. So then Jesus starts his ministry. And I think there's a really good summary in Matthew 4, 23 to 25. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went, people from Galilee, the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. Jesus was known. People were associating him with the promises that had been made and with the prophecies that had been said. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked and demonstrated the nature of God. He challenged the religious leaders. And Jesus gathered a group of disciples around him that he taught one-on-one. Yet the people still struggled to understand who Jesus was. They couldn't get past this picture that they had in their mind. Remember, a political and military figure, a mighty nation and a powerful king. They couldn't get past that. And we can see that. When we go to Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it says in Mark 11, 8 10, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around them were shouting, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. Quite a few things are happening in these verses that show us what the people were thinking. What did they say? The coming kingdom. They were thinking, here it is. Here's the Messiah, the one we were talking about. They were openly proclaiming him as the Messiah. When they put the coats down, that was an act of royal homage. And palm branches were a sign of victory. So they were gearing up. Here is our king, our powerful king. He's coming. He's going to rule. Yes, that's what they're saying. Their actions, that's what their actions said. Yet, there's also contradiction here and there would have been confusion for the people. Because if Jesus was a military and political figure, he wouldn't have come on a colt of a donkey. He would have come on a strong, powerful war horse that would have showed his might. But the colt of a donkey really symbolized humility and, and was very humble. It didn't, it didn't mesh up and it would have caused the people to be quite confused. We also see this confusion or this lack of understanding of who Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. In Mark 14, verse 43 and then 46 to 8, it says, And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading prophets, the teachers of religious law and the elders. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you would come with swords and clubs to arrest me? See, they came with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus. They were expecting resistance and fighting because that's what a political and and military king would do. The disciples, how did they react? They pulled out their sword, slashed off someone's ear. They were ready to fight. Nothing was making sense. It didn't make sense. So what I've been trying to do is just build a picture of the headspace of the disciples. What was their perspective at the time of Jesus' death? See, they'd been around Jesus. They'd heard his teachings Yet they still had a very limited perspective of, who the, of what the Messiah would be. They still had this tunnel vision of a political and military figure. That's what they could see. See, they didn't know any other type of leader. And the promises were that he would be a king, he would rule. So that's what they were expecting. They got locked. They got locked into that tunnel vision of what the Messiah would be like. Anything else was just outside the capacity. They didn't have it. So what happened when Jesus died? Amongst the disciples, there was despair, sadness. There was no hope, confusion. They were rocked. This wasn't how it was meant to be. And then we come to the resurrection. It's Easter, Easter Sunday, three days after the crucifixion of Jesus. Some women go to the tomb. Now these women earlier in Luke 23 were described as grief stricken as they stood at the foot of the cross. So these grief stricken women go to the tomb. They find it empty and two men suddenly appear before them. And these men say in Luke 24, 6, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into a handful of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered what he had said, that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. So these grief-stricken women are now rushing back to tell the others. They've gone from not understanding at all in confusion and doubt to then they remembered that he had said this. They were remembering. They were starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. On the same day after this, two disciples were walking to Emmaus they were talking about what had been going on and Jesus appeared beside them. They didn't know it was Jesus. God had closed their eyes to that. But Jesus came beside them and said, what's going on? What are you talking about? And, you know, it's, it describes these two men, sadness written across their faces. I love that, sadness written across their faces. And they said in Luke 24, 21, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. In those words, we can see their grief and we can hear their lack of hope. They was sad. They, they'd lost all hope. They thought he was the Messiah. Jesus then went on to open their eyes and explain everything. It says in Luke 24, 27, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When they arrived at Emmaus, Jesus went in with them and they had communion. And at that point, God opened their eyes and they saw Jesus. They, they had you know, walked there during the day. Within the hour, they were racing back to Jerusalem to tell the others what had gone on. Something had happened to those women. Something had happened to those disciples. God had done something to them. God had opened their eyes. Suddenly, everything was starting to make sense. They were remembering what Jesus had said to them and his words had new meaning. See, God had given them, had changed their perspective. They'd gone from this military political figure to what God was showing them about who Jesus was and what kind of Messiah he would be. They had a change of perspective. I want to tell you about an experience that I had in October last year. My husband and I went up to northern New South Wales and we wanted to have a look at the silo art. So we went to Bonella, the tourist information centre, got some information, and they said, oh, go out to the Winton Wetlands. There's some silo art out there or water tank art. Winton Wetlands, never heard of it, but we decided to go. So we drove our car out, and as we're going along the road, we start to see the wetlands. And what it was was this expanse of water, and in it were hundreds of dead trees, not just one or two, but there were hundreds of dead trees. And as we drove around, all we could see was this water and these dead trees. It was a mesmerising place. It, it, like it was a graveyard for trees, um, sort of eerie. But just, it does look so dead and so barren. And we drove around for a bit and uh, uh, just, uh, there's a photo of it. You know, we have, um, the team have put a photo there for you can see it. You see what I mean? There's just this water and all these dead trees. And we drove around, had a look, and we decided that we'd come back and do a walk there because there were a couple of walks. So, yeah, we thought we'd do that. I, I just... I can still picture the first image of going there just so dead and so barren. So we came back a couple of days later later to do this walk. It was about 12 k's. we were walking in to a high point and back again. And we got out of our car and we're walking along and I soon realised that my perspective of it being a dead and barren place was so wrong. You see, in the midst of all this death, there was an incredible amount of wildlife. Birds. I have never seen so many birds in the one place. There were cockatoos and galahs and swans and storks and lots of other birds that I couldn't identify. You know, there were so many cockatoos. At one time, they were screeching and it was so loud that Ray and I could not talk to each other. We had to stop talking because there were so many cockatoos making a noise. It was really beautiful. And that wasn't the only wildlife we saw. We saw a snake, yeah, from a distance. We just, you know, I knew he was there, that's good. And I'm sure if we knew what to look for, we would have seen so a lot of wildlife too. Well, we did see a mob of wallabies, you know, just bouncing through with the water splashing up. And then we saw a mob of kangaroos, of big kangaroos. And it was a big mob. I've never seen such a big mob of kangaroos. And they were, you know, just jumping through the water and the water came splashing up and, oh, what a spectacular sight. So this place was alive in ways that I could never have imagined. See, for me to see the life, when I was in my car, I couldn't get past the death and the barrenness of the place. I couldn't see it. I couldn't experience it. It wasn't until I hopped out of my car and started walking that I experienced and saw and heard the life that was all around me. You know, to step, to see that life, I had to step into the reality of it. You know, for for the disciples, they knew the promises of Jesus. They knew the prophecies. They had the personal teachings of Jesus, but they couldn't understand that not in their own abilities. Their limited perspective prevented them from seeing the truth. God had to do something. He had to come into, break into them for them to open their eyes to see the Messiah for who he truly was. You know, in our limited perspective, you know, it's this, in our natural perspective, this story of Jesus, of him dying and rising again, of his resurrection, doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense. Scientifically, it does not make sense. We can't reason this into being. You know, in our own abilities, we cannot understand Jesus. We have to let God break into our lives for us to understand who Jesus is. We have to move our, shit out, move our thinking from here to here. And the only way to do that is with Jesus. We have to take that step of faith and believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he did die and rose again. And when we do that, then we can see the life that he brings that's all around us. You know, it's um, you know, Easter Sunday. We have a choice to make. We have a choice. We can sit in our car, And we can see Jesus as a good moral man that that taught some great things. Or we can hop out of the car, step into the reality, and by you know, open our eyes to Jesus, believe that he is the Son of God, and let God open our eyes to the life that He brings us. That's the choice that we have on this Easter Sunday. That's the choice that I want you to consider. I know that I want to walk in the life there's so much more when I walk with Jesus, when I choose him, when I choose, when I choose him, when I get out of the car, when I step into reality with him on my own. I can't work it out but God has opened my eyes and allowed me to see that and he can do that for you too. Let's pray. I oh, heavenly father, we we are just so grateful for Jesus your son who died and then rose again. Lord, in faith we believe that you are Jesus the Son of God and in faith we choose to follow you. we open our eyes to you and we ask that you would show us the life that you have for us, the life that is just so full and so rich. and Lord, as we, as we sit here today, Lord, if there are those of you, there are those out here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they will let open their eyes to you. Lord, they will set aside their reasoning and their logic and they're trying to figure you out because that doesn't happen. Lord, that they will trust in you. And I know as they do that, you will grab a hold of them and show them the life they can have. So this Easter Sunday, we celebrate. We say thank you, Jesus, for your death, for your resurrection. Thank you for the life that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.